The following is a message by Professor Joel Kim from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for your faithfulness and goodness to us. Open our eyes this morning so that we may be able to read and to see you and to understand what you're trying to teach us. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the word of God. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a, fig, a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Thus far the reading of his word. The story of Hezekiah was a breath of fresh air, a sight for sore eyes, or any other idiom you can put in that blank. In a book filled with kings who did evil in the eyes of the Lord... It is a pleasant surprise for many of us to run into Hezekiah here and to read his accounts. For he receives a positive review. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1, 3, and 5 remind us that Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign, it says. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. The word Uh, trust, or variously translated confidence, rely on, depend on, is actually repeated for us ten times in chapters 18, 19, and 20, despite the fact that the same form of the word is only used three times between Genesis and the book of Kings. It's true that many times it was used in the mouth of the enemy of uh, 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 Hezekiah, Yet over and over again, the theme of trust comes back to remind us that one of the positive traits of Hezekiah, the very thing that the author notes, was that he was a trusting king. Despite the threats of the king of Assyria, we are reminded that he turned to the Lord. In a positive account in the book of Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 19, we are told Hezekiah prayed to the Lord when Assyrians were nearby. O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. 
It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms, kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God." Here, in a trusting way, he turns to the Lord when the nation faced difficulty, especially the attack of the Assyrians. Through the prophet Isaiah, God declares his intentions to him, promising, he says in chapter 19, 24, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David, he says. The trusting king in turning to the Lord, God being faithful, turned to come to his aid. That night, this god who was at war killed 185,000 Assyrians. They all died in the middle of the night, and only when they woke up in the middle were they able to see what the Lord had done. This trusting king, the one who was judged good, who did good in the eyes of the Lord, is seen in this scene where at the prime of his life, we are told, about the age of 39, he became ill. He became so sick Most people thought, and he himself conjectured, that he would shortly die. The gravity of his illness is seen from the fact that the prophet of the Lord actually comes unasked. And having come, he is simply told, Hezekiah had very great... I'm sorry, I lost my pages here. Here, he is told very simply, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover, chapter 20, verse 2 says. His appearance, that is Isaiah's appearance, is also an indication that God had not left this king. And again, this trustworthy king, this trusting king, is someone that had favor from the Lord. What were his actions and reactions when the prophet Isaiah came? He immediately turned to the Lord in prayer, as we're told in verses 2 and 3. He pleaded with God. He reminded God of his faithfulness, how for a long time he lived faithfully before God, and he called out to God for his mercy. Isaiah 38, which is a parallel passage with this story told here, tells us the thoughts of Hezekiah after he was healed. For his, his illness was grave, and he was crying out to God in bitterness, and as he does so, he calls out to God when he says, O Lord, by these things men live, and all, these, all this is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. And he ends that statement of his prayers to the Lord when he uh, comes before God in words of trust when he simply points out, O Lord, in verse 20, chapter 38 of Isaiah, O Lord, Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. His dependence and his trust for the Lord did not go unheeded. Again, through Isaiah, God proclaims, I have heard your prayer, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5 indicates. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. The very God who promised in Revelation chapter 7, he will wipe away the tears, again recognize the tears of his faithful servant, and he received the good news, that is, uh, Hezekiah, that his life will be extended 15 years. Immediately, his boils were removed, and through a sign, he was given an assurance of God's intentions. Is this an indication of God changing, as many of the openness of God people have utilized this passage to be? No. By the illness and healing, 
what God does is that he causes Hezekiah to turn to him completely, trusting him even more, seeking aid only from him, so acknowledging that only the God of David delivers and is faithful. And God is indeed faithful to Hezekiah, Hezekiah who trusted him and who turned to him. But was he always this way? Despite the positive account of Hezekiah found in 2 Kings, we see that 2 Chronicles is not as forgiving. For Hezekiah was a man whose heart was genuinely moved towards the Lord, but whose will was fickle under the pressure, of temptations, uh, pressure and temptations of life. Like the David who was his ancestor, and unlike the greater David who was his descendant, his first thoughts were for himself. We are told in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 through 25, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord. He answered him and gave him a sign. Look how quickly the account of his illness is told. Immediately, the author tells us, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. And the conclusion is given to us when it says, Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. We are given two examples of this prideful selfishness of Hezekiah, even in 2 Kings chapter 20. After all the positive accounts of Hezekiah are given out, we are told of what happens to him in verses 12 through 19. When the king of Babylon, a powerful nation, heard that he was ill and Hezekiah was now healed, he sent letters and gifts because he heard that Hezekiah has now recovered. And and when receiving these delegations from the nation of Babylon, he was proudful, prideful that these individuals would come and congratulate him. So what does he do? He proceeds to show them his wealth and his armory. 2 Kings uh, chapter 20, verse 13, Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouse. Of course, the pride of place goes to the wealth, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all of his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Why would he show them everything he possessed? According to 2 Chronicles' account in verse 27, Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, and so on. And it was his vanity and pride that led him to show the Babylonians all that he possessed. When the delegates from Babylon came, the author of Chronicles report that God left Hezekiah to himself, as verse 31 indicates, in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. Having received his healing, he is to trust the Lord more. Is it indeed true that he forgot himself and turned to the Lord? By his vanity and pride, where he desired to show off his wealth to his delegation from Babylon, he failed the test. The Lord reacted harshly. And in fact, that gives us a second scene where we recognize his selfishness. When the Lord reacted, the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was sent. And when Isaiah heard that this is indeed what Hezekiah had done, he declared the word of the Lord that said, Judah will be overtaken, ironically by Babylon, taking all the wealth that it had seen. 
And one thing that's interesting here is that his descendants, we are told, will be taken as captives by the Babylonians and will serve eventually as eunuchs there. Upon hearing this news, his response was quite interesting. Initially, his response to this prophecy seemed trusting enough when he says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. What the author tells us, however, that he does not say uh, are his thoughts when he says, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days, he says. Despite being told by his untrusting nature, the punishment will be not only that all the wealth that he prided himself in will be taken away, his nation will be destroyed by the very uh, same Babylonians, and that, in fact, his descendants will be taken away as captives and will serve as slaves and eunuchs. Despite hearing all this, externally, he seems to react in a positive way. What you have spoken is good. But inconsistent are his thoughts when he simply points out, in, in a harshness that as a father I cannot understand, he simply points out, that's okay as long as my days are peaceful. More shocking than the inconsistency between his action and his thoughts is his selfish and self-serving dismissal of the plight of his descendants because of his own actions. What's interesting here is that even in the midst of his prayer, recorded in Isaiah 39, his self-importance and selfishness can be seen. For Isaiah 38, verses 17 through 19 indicate, Behold, as he cries out to God, and this is an account of him telling us the story after his healing had taken place. It was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, he says. But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have uh, cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. In reading this, we are led to pause for two reasons. First, as the accounts in Second Kings suggest, his Manasseh, his son, was an evil king. And despite what he promises at the end, somewhere the father making known the faithfulness of God to their children missed its mark. And we are not surprised that he could not pass that on, uh, 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 despite his well intentions. But second, I am struck by Hezekiah's regard for the present life and his inability to see the spiritual one. His fear and bitterness were overwhelming. In fact, one constant between Isaiah 38, 17 and 2 Kings 23 was that Hezekiah was indeed bitter. Now, this is a disputable point, but I agree with John Calvin in his sermon on this very passage from Isaiah 38 when he points out, but if... Uh, But it may seem strange that he said that the death nor yet the grave shall not be to praise God. For it seems that he accounts upon uh, uh, the knowledge no other goodness of God but when he preserves men in this frail life. Indeed, if we look not but here below, our faith shall be but weak. And we know that we live to no other purpose but to taste in part the goodness of God. To the end we may be drawn up higher and altogether ravished to the heavenly life. It seems then that Hezekiah is too much given to the world, Calvin says, and that he has no conceiving of the spiritual kingdom of God. For in saying that the grave cannot praise God, nor they that be dead, it seems that he had no other regard but to this present life. 
So here is this king. On the one hand, uh, uh, someone who receives the positive review, simply pointing out that he was a good king who did good in the eyes of the Lord because he trusted God. But his life failed to show that trust in a constant way. Over and over again, he turns away from God, and he begins to trust in himself, pride in himself, and we are, we are, are, are led to believe, despite the fact that we haven't discussed it here, he turns to external support to defend his nation against the enemy's attacks. Here's the king, granted this review, a good king who trusted in the Lord, who remains fickle and untrusting as his life progresses. And what's intriguing for us to ask here in this question then, if the Lord knows his fickleness, and that he is not trustworthy till the end, why would God deliver him? Why would God deliver him? Part of it is the very fact that at that moment, he turned to the Lord in prayer of dependence. And we shouldn't minimize the importance of our Lord and God hearing our prayers. Our daughter, who's fearful of the night, who's three years old, this morning as I was driving her to her preschool, asked me, God hears prayers, right? And although I'm sure I'm going to have to remind her over and over again that he does, as I have to remind myself over and over again that he does, the faithfulness of God in hearing our prayers should not be minimized. But it seems like the answer to our question of why God delivers him is not just in the faithfulness of his prayer. But the faithfulness is found not in Hezekiah, who tends to be fickle, but the faithfulness is found in God. It is worth noting for us that Manasseh, his son, was 12 years old when he came to the throne. And if it's true, as the scripture records, that his illness struck him at the prime of his life, and in light of the fact that Hezekiah actually had his life extended by God 15 years, more than likely, Hezekiah did not have his heir yet. And in fact, what you see here, the Lord reminding Hezekiah and those around him of his promise. As it says in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 6, And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. As 2 Kings 19 already said, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. In spite of the piety and prayers of Hezekiah, Hezekiah played a minor role in the deliverance that he received. God's answer to Hezekiah had more to do with the preservation of a nation and the Davidic line than the faithfulness of a fickle man like Hezekiah. This is why it's interesting for us to note that Hezekiah and Manasseh are recorded only once in the New Testament, found in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, where we're told in Matthew chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, uh, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. The son of God who descended from David. The line of David is preserved because God has been faithful to Hezekiah. It's interesting, and perhaps a fitting end for us to end with this, that this greater descendant of Hezekiah also indeed faced death, just like Hezekiah did. However, instead of pleading for his life, filled with fear and bitterness, he willingly and trustingly faced death. 
As we are told in Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And despite Hezekiah's protests, the dead do praise. And what we recognize is that the death of his greater descendant brought forth praise when he did indeed die. As again, Revelation chapter 7 reminds us, those who came out of the tribulation, who have now benefited and washed by the blood of this lamb who did indeed die, upon his resurrection they were able to proclaim, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb sung not only by his people, joined by the chorus of angels, for the dead do sing. This is why we, along with many who walked before us, are reminded of the faithfulness of God to his promises. For the death and resurrection of Jesus is indeed a testimony to that faithfulness, the testimony to that faithfulness. Thus we are able to echo the words of Paul, even as he himself faced death, to me, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so for those of us who stand on this side of the cross, we are reminded, we experience, and we revel in the faithfulness of God, whose love for us and whose faithfulness to us cannot be separated even through death itself. You and I are told once again to seek the Lord and trust him, for he is indeed worthy of our trust. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, who are we, O Lord, that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you remember us? What have we done that you condescend to us? But Lord, we are so ever grateful that you remember us and that you've sent your son to die for us and be resurrected for our justification and for the assurance of our future eternal presence before you. Lord, despite your faithfulness to us, which is recounted for us in scripture over and over again, we we suffer from spiritual amnesia, often forgetting what you have done. Won't you remind us now by your spirit of your trustworthiness, and may we turn to you in trust, for we know that you'll be faithful to us. We thank you for this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.